what do you call a donkey on three legs? Wonky. That joke is so bad, it's almost good. Or maybe it's just bad. Very, very bad. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Good Sports Podcast with me, your host, Luke DeCosta. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a passionate subscriber to the pod, I hope you all are, uh, or a first-timer, uh, appreciate you checking us out and having a listen. Now, today we're talking professional bowling. And I should be honest, I literally know nothing about the sport apart from I used to like playing at birthday parties as a kid uh, with the clown shoes and then eating ice cream and jelly afterwards. Uh, But despite that, I think my ignorance kind of paid off and this interview is all the better for it, to be honest. Uh, The guest is Verity Crawley, a professional bowler from Bournemouth in England. She's currently competing on the professional women's tour in the US where she's had three runner-up finishes and she's a coach at Savannah College of Art and Design in the state of Georgia. She's uh, super passionate about her sport in a really fun way as well and I learned a lot doing this interview. So here we are. This is the Good Sports Podcast with professional bowler Verity Crawley. Verity, hey, really good to chat to you. We are now recording for the podcast, uh, all the way connecting the south of England uh, with the state of Georgia over in the States. How are things over there today? Yeah, pretty good, thank you. I'm in Savannah, Georgia. Are you uh, are you bowling today? Yes, I am. I actually coach collegiately at a university and we have team practice today and then I will bowl myself after their team practice. Nice. What university? Savannah College of Art and Design. known as SCAD. Yeah, all right, nice. I'll have to try and check them out. Uh, Verity, okay, I'm going to try my best not to sound like a complete, um, well, ignorant plum in this interview because I I know nothing (laughs) about professional bowling. Hands up, I know nothing about it. But I do, um, I love playing down the local bowlplex and I've got really good memories uh, going to Mega Bowl as a kid um, where I used to live in Poole, that's in Dorset. Uh, You'll probably be familiar with it, actually, uh, because you're from this part of the world, aren't you? The south coast of England. Yes, I am. I actually used to bowl at, in Branksome at Bowlplex Pool, um, and that's now changed to Hollywood Bowl. So I grew up bowling there, and that's really what brought me to where I am today in the US is because of the amount of support and help that I had from being in England. Amazing. So this will be, I tell you what, this will be a real education for me, and I've read some, uh, some wicked headlines uh, about you. A, a rookie sensation, another scoring, uh, another stonking performance, great shot maker. Uh, Verity, you say you got into bowling by playing down at your local bowlplex uh, over here in England. How did you end up in America then? Yeah, so I actually, I mean, I started bowling when I was five years old. I bowled in the local youth league um, every Saturday morning. Around the country, actually, there's a wide array of youth leagues, Um, that happen at your local bowling centre. So I used to bowl in one of them every week. And I just kind of went on and on. I started bowling tournaments um, and competing at a higher level. And uh, when it came to going to university, I actually was contacted by a university in America because of, you know, the performances that I'd had. I was part of Junior Team England and I competed in a European Youth Championship and I, I bowled very well there. And so they reached out to me after that event and said, hey, would you be interested in coming to the U.S.? I had a couple of different universities that reached out to me. um, And by that point, I hadn't really thought that it was an option. You know, I'd applied to university in the U.K. and that's kind of what I was set on. because I didn't really realize that I, you know, I didn't realize I could take it to America. But as soon as I realized it was definitely an option, 
was something that I jumped on and I managed to um, go to a university in Florida called Weber International. That is so cool. You know, we've had other guests on the podcast who have uh, had similar experiences. They're doing well in their sport over here in England and then out of the blue, they're contacted by an American university out of the blue. And it's like, hey, you know, we like what you're doing. Would you like to come out here and represent us? I'm fascinated by that whole setup of recruitment uh, to American universities. I mean, you say you were contacted. How were you contacted? Was that a letter or an email? I was actually contacted through Facebook Messenger. So the way it worked is a international coach uh, messaged me on Facebook and said, hey, would you be interested in going to this university? Told me a little bit about it. I sent some videos of myself bowling to him and he actually then forwarded them to the coach. And then from there, I got in contact with the head coach and we emailed and we went back and forth. But definitely used Facebook a lot more than I think I would have expected. And now since I'm actually a college coach at a university, I'm the one that's doing the recruiting and I'm sending messages to those bowling standouts to try and recruit them to the university and my bowling program. It must have been quite surprising when you got that first message, uh, that Facebook message in the first instance. I mean, did you think it was legit? I did only for the main reason that I knew the person that had messaged me. Um, He was an international coach that I'd actually worked with before. And he's very well known within the bowling industry. So he sent me the message saying, hey, would you be interested? Um, But the other universities, I got a couple of emails and another couple of Facebook messages from other other universities. And those I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this. You know, they asked me to come and tour the university and that they would pay for me to come over. And I wasn't really sure about those ones. But now I know that they were real as well. So did you not uh, take them up on the offer to go over there for a tour to those other unis? No, I didn't. I really had my eyes set on the one that I went to for the main reason that I knew how good the bowling program is and they train at the best best bowling facility in the world. So that kind of made me set on that one. I didn't even want to look at any others. That's super exciting, isn't it, to be headhunted like that? How did it make you feel? Oh, it was amazing, really. I just felt like, you know, all of the work that I'd been putting in as a junior, you know, started to pay off and, you know, the world was kind of, seeing who I am, I guess you could say. And you never knew that this would even be an opportunity for you to go out there and bowl in the States and study at the same time? Well, there was a couple of bowlers from England that had done it in the past, but it was not really that talked about. I didn't really know about it a whole lot. And then a year that I decided there was actually a couple of other bowlers that also went out to the US at the same time. So that was kind of cool. You know, there was a group of us that were all from England that were all in the US bowling collegiately and trying to make it you know to the next level Um, but none of them took it as far as I did some of them either came home or a lot of them are now actually playing football in the US. No way so what kind of an offer did you get from this uni that you went to? Well they offer athletic scholarship as well as academic scholarship so it was a you know we can give you x amount towards your tuition and everything and that was Really, it's simple. It's not simple, but that's just what happened is they gave me an offer and it was then down to me as to whether I wanted to take them up on it or not. Because am I right in thinking that it's pretty expensive to go to university in the States? It really depends where you go. I mean, if you look at the actual cost of university, then yes, they're definitely not cheap. But when you add on, you know, you have the opportunity of scholarship, um, it definitely makes it a lot cheaper. And then, you know, the biggest thing you have to worry about is your flights and actually getting to the U.S., 
And did you ever think to yourself like, oh, you know what? This is a great opportunity, but pretty daunting at the same time. I'm not sure if I'm I'm really cut out for it. Or were you just like, no, I know this place is amazing. I'm totally there. No, definitely. I mean, it was probably one of the hardest decisions that I'd actually make is, you know, do I want to move 4,000 miles away from home? And, you know, it's not just in north of England. You know, I can't just drive home for the weekend. I have to actually have an eight-hour plane journey in order to get home. So it definitely wasn't an easy decision, and it wasn't easy when I got there either. Um, And I know that I have the full support of my parents. I know it wasn't easy for them either. And what was it like when you got over there then? Were you welcomed with open arms? I mean, I guess you're already on the team, so you kind of get friends right away, don't you? Or at least people to hang out with a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's the great thing about the bowling world is I actually already knew a couple of the people at the university. I didn't. I knew of them. I didn't necessarily know them very well. But everyone else is in the same position. You know, everyone's left a home in order to go to university, whether they live in the area or whether they're international. And the university I actually went to is called Weber International, and there's a lot of international students there. So I found myself quite comfortable because there was a lot of people around me who were in the same situation. So that obviously made it a little bit easier. Nice. Cool. I'll tell you what, I want to come back to a bit of recruitment a bit later, but let's just let's talk about the now then. So um, you're a pro bowler, you're a coach as well. So you're making a living out of this sport, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, something that I've always wanted to do and never known if I would be able to. Um, bowling is definitely not one of those sports that's really known about as much as other sports and it definitely doesn't have as much money invested in it Um, but for me I love bowling and I've always wanted to just bowl that's all I've ever really wanted to do and that's what I get to do right now I bowl professionally I compete in professional events and then I get to coach on the side as well so it's great. So how's your kind of how's your time divided between being a pro bowler and a coach like is it like 50 50 or is it 60 40 or um it's difficult the position i have with the university is actually a nine month position so i have nine months where i'm working for the university and i then you know i bowl myself on the weekends and i travel here and there to different events and then i have three months where i'm fully committed to the professional women's bowling tour there's a tour that runs through three months in the summer and you bowl 13 events um, that are professional events. Is that is that the PWBA? Yes, that's correct. Professional Women's Bowling Association. Cool. And that's uh, so that's a, a series of tournaments over the summer, did you say? Yes. Yeah, so in the end of April, it starts. And then May, June and August are the three months where the tour takes place. So right now it's not throughout the whole year, but they just have this three-month tour where you go weekend or week to week, you bowl different events all throughout the US. That's so cool. Lots of travel then. So what's the kind of a format of a tournament? Is it like a a three-day tournament and and how many players are involved? So with these tournaments, most of them start on a Thursday. We have a practice session and then we have a pro-am where we bowl with amateurs that want to come in and just meet the pros. And then on the Friday, we start qualifying. So most of the time, sometimes the events differ depending, but the regular season events, we bowl eight games of qualifying in the morning and eight games of qualifying in the evening. Okay, cool. And how and how, then, ma- how many people would be there? It depends on the event. Sometimes there's 80, sometimes there's 150. That's there's a lot. normally not more than that, but around around those numbers, I would say. That's a lot of bowlers. And, and are, are all these uh, participants kind of like yourselves, like pro or some semi-pro or some amateurs? 
Yeah, a combination of everything. I mean, there's a few pros that are there week in and week, week out and they make a living off it like I do. Then there's just some local bowlers. So say a tournament was hosted in Florida, um, you tend to get just some local Florida bowlers who really want to just bowl. They just want to try a competition and they want to see if they can beat the pros. Then you have, you know, some semi-pros that don't necessarily um, bowl everything, but they still have their professional card and they're still considered a professional bowler. That's so cool. And you mentioned a professional card, almost like in golf. Uh, ex- explain how you get a professional card. Well, it's all to do with the POBA and the requirements that they have in order for you to become a professional. Okay, so do you have to tick a number of boxes to kind of, do, do you have to be like half decent? I mean, I know it's a mix, as you said, like pros, semi-pros, amateurs, people who are just interested, but do you have to be of a standard to, to kind of go to one of these events? Um, to go to one of the events, no. I mean, you could, anyone could really bowl the event, but in order to be considered a pro, you have to, you know, reach a certain standard in order to be able to do that. Okay, cool. Yeah, makes sense then. So, so kind of what's the prize then? Is it a prize per tournament and a prize per kind of like summer champion or? So per tournament, um, it's all money based. So if you win a tournament, most of them are $10,000. There's a couple of events that will be 20000 and they're the bigger ones. They're a longer format and they're a little bit different. So we have a women's US Open, just like you would have a golf US Open. But then we also have regular events, which the prize fund is a little bit less. And then at the end of the year, they have what's called a tour championship. So the top 16 players from the summer, depending on where you finish in points, you then get invited to this tour championship, which is an extra event. So every event, depending on where you finish, you gain points. And that's all listed on the PWBA website as how many points each pro earned each week. Everything's listed in terms of earnings. And there's just statistics week in and week out about how the bowlers are doing and what their achievements are. Anyway, that's really cool. Verity, so we're talking about some of the events uh, that you play in on the Professional Women's Bowling uh, Association Tour, if if that's how you kind of say it. I mean, so... Talk- yeah, that's perfect. Oh, great. Talk to me about the, the actual bowling balls then. Um, I mean, do you use your own or are they supplied by the event? I don't know if that's a silly question. Um, so you use your own and most professional bowlers are sponsored by a bowling ball manufacturer. So I'm sponsored by a bowling ball manufacturer and they provide me with the bowling balls. Every bowling ball is custom drilled to fit my hand. So, you know, if you were to pick up my bowling ball, you wouldn't have to throw it because it's made to fit me. Yeah, so that's pretty much how it works with bowling is you have a bowling ball that's actually drilled to fit your hand. And are they really different? Say, for instance, you know, is your bowling ball, I mean, how different is it to, you know, one of your rivals on the tour? Well, they might have the same bowling ball as me because the company that I'm with obviously sponsors a few different professional athletes and that bowling ball can be used by a wide array of people but it's you know how I drill the bowling ball makes a difference so there's obviously a lot of technical aspects to bowling that a lot of people wouldn't realize but even when you drill the bowling ball and the three holes you put in it depending on where you put those three holes affects how the bowling ball rolls I mean, I know like in golf, you have you have different clubs. So in bowling, we have different bowling balls. So I might take nine or 12 bowling balls to an event because every one is going to do something different for me on a different lane condition. And what are the main differences? Is it is it weight? I mean, they've all got to be the same size, right? Or, or not? So the weight is always going to be the same. I use a 15-pound bowling ball. 
but the main difference is the core and the cover that is on the bowling ball. So if you cut a bowling ball in half, if you use one bowling ball versus another, you would see something different on the inside. But then we have bowling balls that are solid, we have bowling balls that are pearl, we have bowling balls that are hybrid. So it's really the way the bowling ball is made and the characteristics of the bowling ball are what makes it react differently. This is absolutely fascinating. So what's your preference on bowling ball then? Do, I mean, do you have a favourite, you know, your kind of like Warhammer one? No, I wouldn't say I have a favourite because a lot of bowling balls, I use new bowling balls a lot of the time, so I don't really like to get stuck to a favourite ball. Um, so it's really hard to say. I mean, I use so many different bowling balls and the bowling ball manufacturer obviously produces a lot of bowling balls at one time and releases different bowling balls and new bowling balls. So I don't really have a favourite. So if you're taking 9 to 12 bowling balls to an event, I mean, how do you even transport all of those? I mean, you can't drag them all in in a sack in one go. You've got to go a few trips to the car, haven't you? So we have three ball totes in bowling. So it's a bag that you fit three bowling balls in. So that's what I would travel with. I'd travel with either two of them or four of them. And when we travel as part of the PWBA tour, we actually have a truck for pro bowlers and that truck goes week to week to the different events and it takes some of our bowling balls with it so when we get to the next event our bowling balls are already there um i fly to the majority of events so i normally fly with about six bowling balls and then i might leave six or nine bowling balls on the pwa truck quite heavy luggage isn't it on a plane (laughs) That's quite heavy. Definitely. <laughs> uh, so what kind of things do you have to consider, Verity, when playing at different venues then? Because, I mean, presumably you don't have to compete with the outdoor elements. What is that beeping? It sounds... <laughs> car parking, is it? Car parking? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm forgetting the car. No, that's cool. Um, what, what, <laughs> yeah, so what kind of things do you have to consider when playing at different venues? I mean, how different can the venues be? What are the big factors? Yeah, so every every bowling centre is different. Every set of lanes in a bowling centre is different. You have to think about if you go to a regular bowling centre, if you bowl on lane one, lane one is going to be different than, say, lane 12 is going to be. So we have that factor to consider. And a big thing about that is what's called topography. So the way that the lanes are, the way that they've molded over time, and actually the temperature and the weather can actually affect the lanes more than people would probably think. And then we also have to consider when you're bowling a tournament, there's oil put out on the lanes, which a lot of people probably don't know either. That's why there's always that black line, the foul line at a bowling centre, and you know there's a sign on it saying, please do not cross. And that's because past that foul line, there's oil. So when I go to a tournament, the oil might be put in a different part of the lane. And we actually get given lane graphs that tell us where the oil is, the amount of loads there are in the pattern, and information about the pattern. Sometimes we're given that, and sometimes we're not given that. So when we're not given that, we have to try and figure out as bowlers what we think is on the lane so that we can adjust and we can pick our bowling balls in order to match up to that lane pattern. No way. I had no idea. There's so there's quite a lot of strategy. Again, like we keep doing the kind of golf comparison, but if you think about the green on a golf, uh, you know, on a golf course, or, or even the fairways and the way they're cut differently, this is all quite similar stuff. Exactly. That's the best sport to compare it to. You know, when you look at the clubs and the bowling balls, and then you look at the green and you look at a bowling lane, they are very similar in that aspect. And a lot of people don't realise the technical side of bowling. You know, a lot of people just think, okay, well, you get up there and you just throw the ball down the lane. But when you're a professional bowler, obviously the skill comes into it and we have to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to strike? But one week we're bowling on 
let's say there's 40 foot down the lane of oil one week, but the next week there might only be 32 foot of oil. So your ball is going to react differently on the 40 foot pattern versus the 36 foot pattern. That is so cool. I had no idea. I think that's brilliant. Uh, I mean, Verity, obviously, by all accounts, I mean, you're, you're a pretty darn good bowler and you've had a couple of really good results, uh, as far as I'm aware, last year on the professional tour, not to mention all the accolades you've won before that. I mean, I mean, do you, I mean, do you get strikes all the time or? Definitely not. I mean, I think that's something that everyone has to realise and bowlers themselves have to realise is that you're not going to strike every time as much as you would love to. There's no sport that you're perfect all of the time. And you're never going to shoot 300 every single game. You know, it's, it's difficult to shoot a 300. And that's what makes bowling so difficult is you're not going to strike all the time and you're not going to stare all the time because you're going to leave splits and splits are very difficult to pick up. And is it, I mean, I from the videos that I've seen online of competitions, it seems like every throw has a bit of a spin on the ball. Is, is that the aim? I mean, you can't just like lob it dead centre down, down the pipe? <laughs> right. So what we term to it as is hooking the bowling ball. So that spin that you see is the hook of the bowling ball. So that's ideally how you want to bowl. And most bowlers want to hook the ball as much as they can. So that's known as your rev rate, your revolutions, and how much you can actually rev the bowling ball, how much rev rate you can produce. So if you look at a guy's rev rate, it might be 560 revolutions, whereas some girls might only be 200. But the way it's looked at at bowling is almost the more you hook the ball, the more successful you're going to be, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. If you look at some of the older players, um, back in the day when you didn't, you had different bowling balls and there wasn't as much technology, those players were a lot straighter. Um, and I wouldn't say lob it down, that's definitely not the correct term to use, but that's, I guess, the comparison is that they threw the ball a lot straighter than today's world with the modern game. Yeah, I, I was just kind of reflecting on what I said there. I said, not only did I say lob it, but I, I think I said throw the ball. I mean, you don't throw the ball, do you? What's the term? I mean, you bowl the ball, presumably? I mean, I guess you bowl it. You can say throw it because you are technically throwing it off your hand, but it's more of a roll off your hand. So how come bowling, Verity, is so popular over there in the States? I mean, these pro tournaments, I mean, they're televised and everything, aren't they? All the glitz and glamour. I mean, why do you think it's so popular over there when you think about how we cover bowling over here? Well, I don't think there's much of a bowling set up here in the UK, to be honest. There is a decent set up in the UK. Obviously, I came from the UK, so I feel like without what there is in the UK, I wouldn't have got to where I am now. But it's definitely not as big in the UK as it used to be. But it's also not as big in the US as it used to be. So even though right now there's some televised events and there's a good amount of leagues and there's a lot of bowlers in the US, but it's still not as big as it used to be way back when, when there was a lot more interest in bowling and a lot more sponsors. And I think the TV coverage really makes a difference because the more people see bowling, the more it makes them want to bowl. What do you think, what do you think would help um, the UK set up then hit that next level? I mean, whenever I ask anyone that question, no matter what sport it is, they all say TV. Would that be the thing? I think so. I think there has to be a bit more money invested because right now it's very difficult for a pro bowler or even an amateur to bowl something in the UK, say they bowl a tournament in the UK at the weekend. But in order for them to make some form of money and want to continue competing, there has to be that money in the tournaments. And right now in the UK, that's not the case. So it's very difficult for someone to make a living in the UK bowling because there aren't the events to compete in. 
And where do you get your, I guess, your money from to allow you to play on a tour? I mean, you said you've got some sponsors and you obviously have a job, but I mean, how do most people on the tour survive? Do they have another job to keep them going as well as sponsors? How does it, it work? It really depends. There's a couple of professional women who bowl all year round. So they don't have a job and all they do is bowling and bowling is the way they make their living. And in order to do that, they go to Europe, they go to Japan and they bowl all over the world. But they wouldn't be able to do it without the support of their sponsors. And that's the same thing I have. If I didn't have the bowling ball sponsors behind me, then it would make it a lot harder for me to compete in these tournaments. But since the women's tour is only three months, that's why I have a separate job that, you know, keeps me going kind of as a backup plan, I guess you could say. Because I could bowl all year round and I could compete in the events all over the world. But it's, it's definitely not easy. It's hard to make a living in bowling because there's not that much money in it compared to other sports. And speaking of that women's tour, so I guess you're kind of gearing up for, well, this summer, are you? How's it all going? What are you looking ahead to? Yeah, definitely. So the tour starts at the end of April and my goal this year is to win an event. Um, I was on TV the last couple of years and I was runner-up for Rookie of the Year the first year that I went pro. So I'm just really getting ready right now. Obviously, everything from bowling to fitness to mental game, I'm really just trying to get in shape and ready for the tour. What's the biggest part of your game you're trying to focus on this off-season then? I would actually say that my mental game is probably the biggest thing that I'm working on, as well as getting a little bit stronger. Obviously, with bowling, a lot of people might watch the pros on TV and they think, oh, they're not fit. You don't need to be fit to be a bowler. But when you think about the amount of games that we bowl, I mean, there's weekends where you bowl 32 games, but that's only in two days. So there's a lot of bowling. So you have to keep your stamina up. And that's something that I'm probably working on more than anything. I, I have a pretty good physical game with bowling. I can throw the bowling ball. I have a decent amount of knowledge. So now it's more of a fine tuning. I need to work on my mental game to take me to that next level to make sure when I get to those TV shows, you know, I'm in, I'm in the right mindset. I think that's what's going to make the difference this year versus the last couple of years. And what do you think about those big events where the cameras are there and are on you and, you know, you're down to like the final four or something like that? I mean, how do you deal with the pressure and, and the crowd and the cameras? Oh, I love it. I think that you just embrace it more than anything. I mean, that's what I'm there for. I compete week in and week out to put myself in that situation. So when I'm in that situation, there's nothing more I can do than just be happy. I mean, I've done all I did all I could get to get to that level and to get to that TV show. So then when I'm actually on the TV, you know, I, I just want to embrace it and really just enjoy the moment. And can you get injuries like kind of bowler's elbow? I mean, you're, you're throwing a heck of a lot of balls using just the one arm, aren't you? Yeah, I think the biggest injuries that bowlers tend to have are normally either from their knees, their wrist or their shoulder. A lot of women have wrist injuries, obviously because you're throwing such a heavy ball repetitively over and over. And that's another reason why I think fitness is very important to ensure that those injuries don't happen. I mean, it's obviously not as, you know, it's not a contact sport like a lot of others that would cause a lot of injuries. But the injuries are still out there. Good stuff. Well, it sounds like you've got the right attitude, serious ambition there. Do you want to be doing this for a long time? Definitely. I mean, I think bowling is one of those sports that you can do for a long time. There's not really an age limit on it. There's bowlers right now who are... 42 years old and they're at their prime so there's not really a there's not really an age number that you can put on and say okay once you get to 30 you have to stop I think you can continue 
as long as you see fit. And as long as there's a pro tour out there, I definitely want to continue. How long I'll be in the U.S. for, I don't know. But right now, since the professional tour is in the U.S., um, it makes sense for me to be here. The opportunities are just so great here, and I'm definitely taking advantage of them whilst I can. Sounds so good. And I tell you what, we said we'd spoke a bit about recruitment and that type of thing earlier on. Just indulge me for a second because I'm so interested in this side of things. You mentioned earlier that now, you know, you're on the other side of the fence. You're kind of doing a bit of recruitment in your role as a coach for the college uh, university uh, that you're at. So, I mean, how does that work? You, you kind of, you know, you, you do a bit of scouting. You know that the, the uni's got a bit of budget uh, to bring a few people over. I mean, how do you go about it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, I'm a bowler myself. So I hear a lot about different bowlers. And I'm very involved with the youth players to kind of, you know, you see who's up and coming in the US, there's a lot of different events that bowlers go to. So I'm able to follow those events and look at the standings. There's some events I will go to um, with the university and with the head coach, and we will go there and we will recruit, we will talk to players, um, we'll set up a booth and they can come and talk to us. So there's there's some people, some bowlers already have their eyes set on different universities and they contact you directly. Sometimes we will see a standout player and we will contact them directly and find out if they're interested in the university. And then the international side, obviously, we can't always get to an international event. So we would use the means of, you know, the results that are posted online. A lot comes down to watching videos of bowlers and seeing how they throw the bowling ball. And then from there, we can message them and find out if they're interested and we can talk to them about their options of what they might want to study. And we kind of go from there in that sense and figure out, okay, are they going to be a good fit for the university? Of course, they have to be interested in the degrees and they have to want to study what we offer. And the benefit to the university is, is basically, in a nutshell, that this person is going to win them a bit of silverware. That's basically it, isn't it? Right, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of different events at the university we compete in throughout the year. And the whole goal for collegiate bowling really is to win a national championship. That's, you know, the be it end all. That is what every college bowling program wants to do is to win a national championship. How close is your institution of having that of the, having that kind of dream come true, winning a national? Yeah, I would say very good. So um, the bowling program at SCAD has only been there for three years. But last year, the women actually finished third. So they, were, they nearly made it to TV. The top two make it to TV uh, to compete for the national championship. So considering how young the bowling program is at SCAD, they did extremely well. So I think that kind of just shows the great future that SCAD and the bowling program has. So cool. So cool. Absolutely love it. Brilliant stuff. Um, Verity, great stuff. I'll tell you what, that's the main interview done. All good stuff. So it's so interesting to learn uh, about the sport. Uh, and not only that, but uh, I guess hear about the setup at the collegiate level and how, how your coaching's going and everything and recruitment. It's a fascinating insight. It's just so different to over here uh, in the UK. Right, so it's time for fun quiz. Really easy, quick fire personality quiz. You ready for it? Sure. Good stuff. Okay. If you could buy any type of food right now, what would it be? I would buy English bacon. Nice. Can't get that out there, can you not? It's very difficult to find. There's a couple of English food stores that you can buy it frozen from, but it's very expensive compared to the UK. Oh, weird. Okay, cool. If you could be any animal, what would it be? Probably an elephant, just because it's my mum's favourite animal. What's something that's on your bucket list? 
to go to Dubai. Do you have a favourite superhero or character? No, I'm not really a superhero kind of person. <laughs> Who do you admire the most? Is there anyone you look up to? Um, I definitely would say that my parents, I look up to them probably more than anything. Um, but in the bowling world, I would definitely say someone like Kelly Hewlett is someone that I definitely look up to and aspire to be like. What would you be doing if you weren't bowling? I have absolutely no idea. I was going to go to university in the UK to study social work, but I really can't imagine myself doing that now after being here for so long and just being so involved in bowling. I would probably be in gymnastics. That was the other sport I did when I was younger. If a movie was made about your life, who would play you? Um, probably Emma Watson, just because everyone says that we look very similar. What's the best bit of advice you've ever had? I think to live in the moment and always chase your dream. What's the worst bit of advice you've ever had? <laughs> I don't think that any advice is bad. I think it can all be taken good somehow. What's the funniest moment that's ever happened to you in your bowling career, be that in a tournament or in training? Probably dropping the ball whilst bowling. So either dropping it from the top of my backswing or doing a drill and dropping the ball and it just rolling backwards behind me. No way. There wasn't anyone behind you, was there? No, luckily there wasn't. Do you have any good jokes? I have a joke that I always thought was hilarious when I was younger and it's what do you call a donkey on three legs. Dunno. Wonky. There's no laugh to this end, I'm telling you. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, uh, no, it's so bad, it's good. It's gone all the way around from being bad to now it's good. Verity, so much fun. <laughs> it, it's really good to chat to you. It sounds like you've got a busy day ahead of you. Keep up the good work. And I tell you what, we'll look out for you uh, as the summer rolls round and the tournament starts to begin over there in April. Thanks very much. To be fair, the joke isn't that bad. It's kind of funny. It's safe. It's clean, uh, so it's good for the whole family. It's a win-win. What a star. Pro bowler on the PWBA, Professional Women's Bowling Association Tour in the US, Verity Crawley. I hope you enjoyed that. We'll be keeping tabs on her when the season gets underway later this spring. Thanks, Verity. And uh, thank you to you for listening and for all your kind comments about the Good Sports podcast so far. Please keep them coming. Do keep listening. Subscribe. Give us a rating on iTunes. Comment. Tell your friends about us on social media. All that stuff. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at NewsLukeDC. I'll put it in the uh, episode guide as well, just so you've got it. So thanks for being there. Time to bug out now. Chat to you later. Cheers. Cheers.